Google, Apple, Microsoft, and Adobe are currently working on a brand new type of font. And this font can have some pretty big impact on the way that we use fonts in general, and especially on the web. So we'll get into that today, as well as the term, less is more. You've probably heard it before, but why is simplicity so important in design? So we will, as I mentioned, get into all this today and more on the Rightly Designed Show. No man who cares about originality will ever be original. It's the man who's only thinking about doing a good job or telling the truth who becomes really original and doesn't notice. You're listening to the fusion of form and function. This is the Rightly Designed Show. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Thomas and this is the Rightly Designed Show. So I mentioned at the top of the show an interesting new thing that was uh, taking place with a lot of big tech companies these days, and that is a new font, a new type of font. Now, I'm not talking about a new specific font. That wouldn't be that wouldn't be too newsworthy in the sense that new fonts, you know, new font families come out every single day. But this is actually a new type of font altogether. It's kind of, they're kind of innovating the way fonts work. You know, fonts right now, you have to install, you know, an italic version, a bold version, and each different version of a font you have to install. And these, you know, all these different font versions uh, are what encapsulate a typeface or a font family. So there's an interesting article in uh, Fast Code Design that actually that actually breaks this down pretty well. So I'll just read a quick snippet from it. But it says, for most people, the words font and typeface are interchangeable. And that's mostly okay. But to understand variable fonts, now that's what that's the new type of, of fonts that they're going to be creating, we need to get into the we we need to get into the weeds a little bit. We tend to think of a font, let's say Helvetica, as being a single design that comes in different weights. So bold, italic, thin, compressed, etc. In actuality, though, Helvetica is a typeface family, which contains numerous different fonts. A totally separate design for Helvetica Bold, another for Helvetica Compressed, and so on. On computers, each of these different fonts is essentially a totally different file, which means that if a designer wants to use multiple weights of a single typeface in their app or website, they have to have their users download each one. That increases app file size and web load times. So right now, most designers don't include multiple fonts from a single typeface in their designs, Instead, they rely upon rendering engines to fake it, shrinking, slanting, or blowing up a font according to what is needed. So if you've ever visited a website before and you notice that a font looks funny or fuzzy or oddly bold but not quite, that's probably because they're using a font that for which they have not included the italic or bold version. They're just trying to, you know, as this article says, they're just trying to fake it. But it continues. For instance, properly bolding, properly bolding letters in a typeface requires a separate bold font to do this correctly. But almost always, uh, but almost all rendering engines are happy to fudge it by smearing a font to be wider in a process called faux bold. Italics can be faked the same way through slanting. The problem with this approach is twofold. First, they often look hideous. A properly designed bold and italic font is more than just a smeared or slanted copy of a baseline font. With letter forms that are specifically tweaked to be more readable in that format. 
But besides that, faking different font weights and styles isn't handled consistently across render engines, producing results that look different in, say, Chrome than they do in Firefox. So to sum it all up, right now using multiple weights and sizes of a single typeface properly requires a bevy of different individually loaded fonts, bloating the file size of apps, and load times of websites. Computers, computers can fake it, but the results are often gross and they're not consistent across platforms and browsers. So that kind of tells you a little bit about the problem. So right now, you know, if you're to install a font, you've got to install all those different versions. You've got to install the italic, the bold, and all those different types. But what the new variable font is hoping to do is to completely solve that problem by creating one font file that can actually, you know, expand its width and its style uh, pretty much indefinitely. Similar to the way that SVG files, a vector format, is almost infinite in the way that it can be scaled to a large or small size, you know, in terms of its actual pixel density, since it doesn't use pixels. Uh, this kind of has the same similar idea. So it goes on. It says, so how will variable fonts fix this problem? Basically by giving type designers their own version of responsive design. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, responsive design is the act of, in web development, making a website so that it, it's fluid in the sense that as the screen size changes, the website adapts and, be, you know, it responds based upon the size of that screen. So, you know, if you're looking at the website on a mobile device or, you know, on your smartphone, it's going to be optimized at that size or a tablet, the same, you know, desktop, it also changes for that as well. So that's, that's what they mean by responsive design. It's a side note, I'll probably dedicate a entire episode in the future to what responsive design is and why it's important. But anyways, just for the sake of this example, uh, that's what responsive design is. So it says, Basically, by giving type designers their own version of responsive design, a single font file that can dynamically morph between different weights and sizes as its designer intended or remaining consistent across platforms. A variable font is a single font that works like multiple fonts, explains Tim Brown, head of typography for Adobe Type, who helped solidify the variable font standard. They'll lead to, better, uh, they'll, they'll lead to faster, better websites, smaller app sizes, more flexible typography, and richer typographical palettes. So to kind of sum this up, uh, in essence, it's just going to create a type of font that gives endless flexibility to type designers. So typography is becoming more and more important, specifically on the web, because you have services like Adobe Typekit, and you even have like, you know, I use Adobe Typekit, but you also have like Google Fonts, which you can install on pretty much, you can implement on pretty much any website totally free of charge. It's, it's all open source. You can go through all their, their typefaces and you know find what you want. But as you'll find if you've ever used Google Fonts before, the more versions of a font you start installing or you start including you know on your website, the slower the script becomes, the larger the, the script and the loading time becomes on your website. So the idea here is that designers eventually, the hope is that they'll be able to start creating typefaces that are all inclusive. So you can have literally hundreds of different styles of one typeface or one font all packed within one file. So it dramatically would reduce the amount of loading time. And again, when you can cram this all into one file, it can dramatically re uh, reduce the amount of you know requests that networks have to make because every single time that 
uh, you know, a new file is requested from a website, it slows everything down. So a lot of, you know, that that's a, a huge thing, a huge step forward in, in the realm of typography. As I mentioned, typography is becoming way more important. It's always been important in design, specifically in, you know, print design. Typography has, has kind of been, you know, everything, not so much in the web until just recently. And that's mainly because of technical limit, uh, limitations. And obviously, this is something that's going to help begin overcoming that. So as this begins to you know, find its way into the web, as it eventually becomes adopted, I think you can start looking forward to a lot more typographical, heavy designs, uh, if for no, no other reason that it's now possible when before it wasn't. So another interesting thing to, to look out for, and we'll kind of see moving forward, and I'll, I'll keep you updated in in future episodes of the Rightly Designed show. And if you'd like to check this article out, I highly recommend it because it's pretty in-depth and it shows specific examples. So you can actually watch the typeface change live from its thinnest version to its widest version in, in a little GIF. So you can find that today at rightlydesignshow.com slash 28. So today's main topic that I wanted to talk about is the concept of less is more. And what does that mean? Why is it important in design? But before I do that, I wanted to take a quick moment to mention today's sponsor, and that is Audible. So as a podcast listener, you're probably well aware of some of the advantages that come with listening to information. Well, Audible is a great next step in that direction. So if there's, you know, books that you've been wanting to read or you haven't really necessarily gotten the time to do or you don't have time typically, you know, in the evening or afternoon or, you know, whenever to actually sit down and read a book, Audible is a great alternative. So, you know, when you're during your commute or whether you're out on a walk or whatever you're doing, you can listen to a book and, and uh, you know, consume the information the same way that you do, you know, a podcast or in an, uh, an audio format. So as a listener to the Rightly Designed show, Audible is going to give you a free audiobook to listen to. So that's uh, a free audiobook of your choosing. You can go through their massive library and pick one out totally free of charge. I recently listened to one called Launch by Jeff Walker, and it's a really good book. It's all about how to follow his formula. It's called the product launch formula to launch a product. And he goes through a step-by-step -step process and a lot of the mental triggers and the things that are really important for launching a new product. So you can listen to that one or any any audiobook you choose totally free of charge. To do that, just go to audio or audible trial, I should say. Sorry, audibletrial.com slash rightly designed. And again, just start your 30-day free trial and you'll be able to uh, select any audiobook totally free of charge. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash rightly designed. Design. Branding. Marketing. WordPress. Helping you build a better brand through the fusion of form and function. This is the Rightly Designed Show. Okay, so today's main topic is less is more. So I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. I think pretty much all of us have. And according to Wikipedia, less is more came from a man uh, named Robert Browning in his poem, The Faultless Painter, apparently that was when it was first mentioned in 1855, and it was more modernized when it was adopted in 1947 by an architect whose name I will probably horribly mispronounce, but Ludwig Meis van der Rohe, uh, as a precept for minimalist design and architecture. So that's the the, fra the way the, f uh, the phrase is commonly used today. Typically, it has to do with design and 
in this case was architecture, but we see it in all different types of design. So I decided to touch on this topic today because it's one that comes up all the time. Now, especially in the realm of book cover design, since uh, book jackets are something that I work, I still work on fairly regularly and have been working on for a long time. But it really does apply to pretty much all type of des- all types of design. It even applies to writing. Uh, it even applies to you know usability in your website and structuring the the organization of the different elements within your website. It applies to a lot of different things, but I especially see it in book jacket design. So. Uh, recently, I was actually writing up an email to one of my clients who had been making some, you know, had some requests that were fairly complicated in nature. So I took the opportunity to kind of expound and explain the concept of simple design and why it's more powerful. It's it's much more effective and powerful specifically when it comes to book design. So I thought that might make a good object lesson. Of course, anything that's uh, specific to this client has been removed. But I'll just go ahead and re- uh, read out the email itself because I think there's some things that we can kind of take away from it and it illustrates the importance of less is more. So let's go ahead and dive into that. It says, my typical advice is to avoid integrating any type of detailed symbolism into a book design. Symbolism, such as depicted in the provided example, will be lost on the vast majority of potential buyers for the simple fact that most simply don't take the time to decipher its meaning. A book jacket has a matter of seconds to convey its message, then it's on to the next title. I like to compare a book cover to a billboard. If you have to take any extended time to determine its meaning, it's already failed to do its job. That said, the usual goal is to find a style, imagery, and typography that works to capture the general mood of the book's concept in the simplest, clearest, most distilled form. This is the key that separates most traditionally published books from self-published ones. Browse any bestseller list to see this in action. In terms of creating a new concept, unfortunately, something that, quote, will capture people's attention and entice them to want to open the book and read it is 100% subjective and not something on which I can concretely create a new design. What motivates one person to open a book may not open the next, uh, may not motivate the next to do the same. My target is typically what will convey the book's main message best, rather than so much anticipating someone's reaction to the same. That said, if there's a more simplistic, universally recognized image or theme that the author has in mind, that would be really helpful. All things considered, I'm happy to work up a new concept. However, I think that these things might uh, prove helpful when we consider moving forward with a new design. So the main point I'm making there is that it's it's really common uh, to get requests where, you know, it's it's kind of trying to tell a story with imagery. You know, I want to, uh, you know, I a little girl standing on the right side of the road who's, you know, basking in the reflection of, you know, a puddle that's blowing. This, you know, symbolizes her deep remorse about losing her mother and, you know, all these details that the average person would have no clue about and things that would be lost on the average reader. When instead, uh, aiming for simplicity, something that quickly uh, encapsulates uh, the specific message that's trying to be conveyed can be far more effective. So, you know, rather than trying to tell this story, you could show something as simple as a locket that shows a photo of uh, the little girl and her mother, and that instantly depicts 
a bondage, a bonding between the two that could be, you know, you know, again, that could be instrumental to that specific part of the story or whatever it is. So I totally made that example up. Uh, but there's, there's always a way to distill a concept down to be immediately recognizable. And that's always the, the goal of good design. So again, if you're looking at like, again, I, I did an episode or I touched on it in an episode in the, in the past about uh, telling the difference between self-published books and traditionally published ones. Yeah, a key, and as I mentioned even in this email, is that one of the key elements that you will see is that a lot of self-published books will try to tell a complicated story on the cover, whereas a lot of traditional published ones will not. They will try to convey one specific message or meaning in the most concise way possible. So unnecessary complexity is really the biggest downfall and pitfall of design in general. And specifically when it comes to book cover design, I've seen this quite frequently. But again, this applies not only to design, but to writing, to your website layout, website design, and even just the basic content that you apply on your site or, you know, branding in general. So there's a lot of different ways that this applies. Now, I'm not typically the type of person that likes to tweet out quotes. So you might see, you know, a lot of people on the web who like to tweet out inspirational quotes. I'm not one of these people. If I tweet out a quote, typically it's going to be making fun of people who tweet out inspirational quotes. <laughs> that aside, um, not to say it doesn't have its place. Sometimes quotes do have their place. And that's why I'm about actually to mention a few of them when they help to illustrate a point rather than, you know, a general feel good. But um but in this instance, there's a lot that we can learn from, specifically from writers, because simplicity is so important. Uh, and so and so why am I referencing writing? Because that's at the core, simplicity and brevity, I should say, is at the core of what makes good design, just as it does with writing, getting to the point. So with that, let's get to the point. Uh, so here are, are a couple of quotes that kind of help illustrate that. So William Shakespeare, as you've probably well heard this one before, said, brevity is the soul of wit. Belise Pascal said, I have only made this letter longer because I have not had the time to make it shorter. C.S. Lewis said, take great pains to be clear. Remember that though you start by knowing what you mean, the reader doesn't. And an ill uh, or a single ill-chosen word may lead him to a total misunderstanding. In a story, it is terribly easy just to forget that you have not told the reader something that he, uh, that he needs to know. The whole picture is so clear in your own mind that you forget that it isn't the same in his. Another uh, place C.S. Lewis says, Always try to use the language so as to make quite clear what you mean and make sure your sentence couldn't mean anything else. So these are obviously referring to writing. Uh, but again, the same principle applies to design or to any type of content that you're creating. Clarity is king. A lot of people like to say content is king. I like to say clear content is king when you're to the point and you mean one thing and one thing only. That's why if you're going to be working with a designer or you're going to be, even if you're doing designs yourself, clarity uh, and simplicity are two incredibly key things. They're not an end in and of themselves. What you're communicating has to be uh, well-perceived and it has to be done well, and obviously quality has to be a part of these things as well. But it's an important thing to remember that clarity applies not only in speech, not only in writing, not only even in the organization of a business or your, or your organization in general, but also in design and, and how things are constructed and laid out. 
And finally, another quote, uh, another quote I wanted to mention is by a, a, uh, a French uh, individual, French man, who I cannot for the life of me pronounce his name. So if you want to uh, read more about him, actually, he's got a very fascinating story. He was a pilot uh, and a reconnaissance pilot in World War II uh, and actually fought against uh, Germany. So very interesting story um, from that uh, that perspective, but you can find a link to his story uh, or to his wiki- Wikipedia page at rightlydesignedshow.com slash 28. But his quote, you may have heard it before, is a designer knows he has achieved perse- uh, perfection, not when there is nothing left to add, but when there is nothing left to take away. And that really is the key. That really is the whole of it in a nutshell, is the sense that the goal should always be to get a design down to its most distilled form. And once you've reached that most distilled form, then you know that you have a good design. If you find yourself wanting to add, you know, this and add that and communicate this and communicate that, then you know that you're probably headed in the wrong direction. So I find this with my own designs. I'm I'm constantly taking a look at the design to see, is there any way I can streamline this? Is there any way I can simplify it? Is there any way I can make it more clear than what it currently is? I actually had a a teacher in art school who uh, had a really interesting way of, she was very, uh, I guess, colorful in the way that she dealt with her students. And I think I may have, have mentioned this story briefly in uh, a previous episode, so I'll, I'll just uh, share the, the shorter version of it here. But in essence, each student in this class had to create an advertising campaign. And the whole goal of it was to it was kind of as if you were running your own agency. So you had to be very frugal. You had to be very conscious of how you're spending your advertising dollars and that sort of thing. So anyways, one of the students was assigned cheese. That was his topic that he was to advertise and to create a big old campaign for. So he created this billboard and a big old picture of cheese, like a, like a wheel of cheese with a, you know, a sliver cut out of it. Like you would traditionally think when, you know, you think cheese and uh, his big slogan beneath the image of cheese was the big cheese. And then it was the title of his product. And uh, the teacher actually walked up to the front of the class, tore it, off the, tore it off the board, crumpled it up and threw it on the ground and asked him simply, do you know what you did wrong? And he said, no, I have no idea. What did I do wrong? He said, you just wasted an entire budget, an advertising budget, while at the same time calling your viewers stupid. Do you know how you did that? And he, he, I don't know. How did I do that? And so the teacher's answer was, you said the same thing twice. You showed a big piece of cheese, and then you said the big cheese. It's like, that's a waste. You don't need to repeat yourself. You need to be clear. So all that to say is that's kind of an extreme example. So if you're not necessarily working for an advertising agency, you may not have that kind of reper- those type of repercussions. However, the same concept, the same principle applies. So again, if you're going to be working with a designer, these are great things to keep in mind. If you're going to be having designs done, always keep simplicity at the forefront. Or even if you're going to be doing your writing, you know, get to the point is what a lot of these different writers always like to say in terms of, you know, how to how to write effectively. I'm by no means uh, a skilled writer in any regard. But when it comes to design and when it comes to, you know, laying out a website or building a brand, these things can be really important. So I mentioned a couple of times, how does this apply to a website? Because if you're not necessarily going to be working with a designer, but you have a website that you want to streamline and make more effective, this has everything to do 
with things like your navigation, with how your content is displayed, uh, even what widgets and things you put in your sidebar, simplicity is still key. So again, going back to that previous quote, you know, a good design isn't what you can add to it, it's what you can take away. So a good practice to do from time to time, even just on your own website, is to take some time to look at everything, to even do an audit of the content that you have, and to start taking things away. Take things away that are confusing. Even if you have an article that's old and outdated, delete it. Or if you have too many navigation items, trim them down. Uh, if you have you know, an about page that has, that's 17 paragraphs long and includes information most people don't care about, edit it, trim it down to its most distilled and important points and topics. This principle can apply to, again, just about everything. And so it's, it's really important. It's really important to, to keep in mind. So the last point I wanted to touch on is one that comes up pretty commonly, again, when it comes to design and simplicity. And that is, what is the difference between simplicity and blandness? Because I've created designs in the past, or I've seen designs created in the past, and, you know, a client or an onlooker, someone comes line and says, yeah, I just think that looks plain. And so what's the difference between a bland design and one that is truly simplistic and for its own good simplistic? The difference is that something that is merely plain doesn't say anything. Meaning you can have, like, for example, I keep going back to book jacket design as the reference point, but you can have a book cover design that's got a white background, black text, and it's just the title and that's it. Now, you might say that's simple, and in a sense it is. That is simple, but it's not the type of simple that's going to be effective. Something that is that moves beyond plain to, be, to being simple is being concise and powerful in what it communicates. So, And it can do that simply, so it can be the, the manner and what we know, the imagery chosen, the typefaces chosen, the way that things are arranged. Everything is done with a lot of thought behind it and for a specific meaning, purpose, and goal. So rather than something that's just plain and that's put together quickly and doesn't have much to it, it's something that has a lot of thought, a lot of time, a lot of effort, and a lot of energy to create that, that final result. And again, some of these things can be subtle. Some, for most people, a good design is going to be, they won't be able to really put their finger on why it's a good design. Most people will just know that it is. The same thing applies, and we can jump over to another type of design, to logo designs. Do realize that if you look at most logo designs, a lot of the most prominent ones are extremely simple. And I've even heard, you know, people say in the past, it's like, well, that's it. That, that took, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to create and an entire agency put behind it so that what we get a check mark. Um, and a lot of times that's the way, that's how a, a powerful symbol or design is reached is going through an iterative process of cutting out things that distract and focusing upon the things that properly communicate. So without going into, a, you know, the whole theory and, and the, you know, the psychology behind creating, you know, graphical elements and iconography and all those type of things, I still think that it's, fairly, it's a fairly important thing to keep in mind, specifically if you're going to be working with a designer, so you can kind of know the mentality behind less is more. It doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, uh, something that is plain is effective, but that cutting unnecessary elements out can be really effective. 
And again, as always, feel free to visit rightlydesignshow.com and feel free to leave your comments on this episode. This is episode number 28. So that's rightlydesignshow.com slash 28. If you have any questions related to design, branding, WordPress, or marketing, I'm, I'm always more than happy to answer those. So if you'd like to visit rightlydesigned.com slash question, I've got a place there where you can actually record your own question. And just like I did in a previous episode, I'd be happy to answer that at length. Also, I'd like to make a, a take a quick moment just to mention, if you haven't already, we would really appreciate it if you wouldn't mind taking a quick moment to leave us a review on iTunes. That's a really important way for us to help get the Rightly Designed show out there to more listeners so we can have more people join the conversation and uh, help more people start building a brand that lasts. So again, I would like to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Rightly Designed show, and we'll see you next week. Enjoying the Rightly Designed show? Please consider taking a quick moment to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the channel of your choice. Visit rightlydesigned.com show for links to these channels and